talking about some different holidays that are approaching on the Jewish calendar. There's a bunch. I got an email recently. I was like, oh, wow, there's a bunch coming up. <laughs> so there's a lot that maybe we've seen on our calendars before, but we didn't know what they sure. really mean. And, you know, that's part of the, the joy of traditions is learning and growing in an area. We're in the month of Elul. And Elul is, you know, generally when you have something coming up on the on the biblical calendar, you have time to prepare for it. And Elul is that preparation period. Uh, this is the time that Moses was on the mountain getting the uh, the, the third time, actually. So he's get, finally getting the, the actual Ten Commandments that he, he didn't break and he got to keep. Uh, coming up on uh, Yom Kippur or Yom Kippur, say both ways, uh, he would descend and bring those uh, Ten Commandments down. That's the the, uh, the second of the feast that we'll be talking about in a few weeks. So next week we'll be off, and then the next week come in a little early for Rosh Hashanah because it happens to be over that holiday weekend, Labor Day, and uh, then uh, come right after that for Yom Kippur for the next week, and then that's just separated, but not quite a week, and so then we'll be in for uh, Monday for the Tabernacles, so that'll be in a little quicker time period, but uh, for this month of August, as we're in Elul, we first looked at the the name of the Father, Yehovah, mm. or Yehovah, to, uh, to get a grip on why maybe the, they took his name out of the Bible. You can look in your Bible for the name of God, and you just won't find it. You might even find it four or five times if you happen to read a very old version. There are a few versions that have it in other ways, like Jehovah, and some have Yahweh, but uh, really hard to find Yehovah in any particular translation, even the Tetragrammaton, the four letters. Uh, so they just yanked that out. So we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And then last week we kind of last week we dug into what is this month of Elul and why does it exist and why do we even uh, talk about it? This week, since it's a kind of preparation time, wanted to get you ready in in the area of prayer. And there is no uh, bigger, more prayed prayer in the world today and throughout history than what's called the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. So uh, we're going to go back in a little different. way. Way. I know you know it in your Bible probably. It's pretty quick and easy. Most people can quote it. But uh, from the Hebrew, changes things up just slightly. And I'm uh, going to go back and introduce you to a guy, a rabbi, named uh, Shem Tov, or, or I guess probably as close as you're going to get. There's some with a B and some with a V. It's the same letter in Hebrew. So uh, I've been praying the Lord's Prayer for many years and often throughout the day. And I still use it as a template for every prayer I pray, uh, just praying through the themes of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, for the longest time, I had this yearning desire to know what the Lord's Prayer said in its earliest form, in Hebrew. But like most of us who grew up in the West, speaking only English, I was aware of the many Aramaic Hebrew translations of New Testament books that were preserved in the Aramaic Syriac churches across the Middle East. I just, um, you know, nobody ever taught me that. So I was started searching. And so this is just a very personal story for me. It wasn't like this is just something I've been teaching through the years. Uh, I happened to finally stumble on a Jewish scholar by the name of Nehemiah Gordon uh, from Hebrew University in Jerusalem. He's part of the team that helped translate the Dead Sea Scrolls. He's Jewish, not Christian. But several years ago, he wrote a book with a Christian theologian on the Lord's Prayer as he was kind of wrestling with a relationship with his father and come to know a God as father for a Jewish man is not as common as you think either. So 
but uh, he mentioned it was based on a manuscript referred to as Hebrew Matthew, and I'd been looking forever, and finally it popped up, and I went, what? So it turns out uh, this document that they call Hebrew Matthew is just one of 28 manuscripts of the book of Matthew written in Hebrew that have been found of various quality. Um, one disclaimer, none of this is new, just new to me and maybe you. Uh, gleaning from the Hebrew manuscripts, definitely it's not to diminish the Greek manuscripts. I don't want ever want you to think, you know, it's just a knock that uh, to get anything in your mind that the New Testament is a trustworthy document or the Old Testament it is very, very trustworthy. It's the opposite. It just gives us an additional voice or witness of the truth of God's word and how it's been preserved over the millenniums. It's actually faith building on how confident we should have in the Word of God. Jesus taught in Hebrew, so there's a value in learning the unique aspects of that language. Just like the Greek needed to be translated into English, so must the Hebrew. So you have the same issue coming up. Hopefully, this manuscript is faithful to the originals it was copied from, but there is no way to know that because none of the originals could have survived the years. So, to me, the story of this manuscript, though, is absolutely miraculous and altogether delightful. It's a God story with a clever sense of humor. So, Rabbi, he's got a bunch of names here, uh, Shem Tov Ben Isaac Ben Shaprut. He's the author of this oldest surviving Hebrew version of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, this is from the year 1380. So, you're looking at, like, not quite 700 years ago. It's worth noting that it was not his objective to preserve the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew. He was facing the Spanish Inquisition. They're not friendly. Uh, the, he was debating Cardinal Pedro de Luna on original sin and redemption, and he was trying to preserve liberty for the Jewish people in Spain without persecution. But he's Jewish, all right? He's a rabbi. The Hebrew Matthew translation was discovered in his treatise, The Logic of Shem Tov, an anti-Christian Catholic commentary that argued against the belief that Yeshua, Jesus, was the Messiah and argued against the belief that Yeshua, Jesus, was God. So you you got to say, how did you end up making this being an exciting document to read? Well, that's where the humor comes in. In his attempt to disprove the divinity of Yeshua, Jesus, he gave Christianity two of the best gifts we could have ever asked for. His verse-by-verse argument against the facts of the Gospel of Matthew caused him to copy the entire book of Matthew from the Hebrew manuscript, word-by-word, that was available to him back in the 14th century. Now, he was a Karite scholar or scribe, so if you remember, they're the scribes and uh, very dedicated and determined in all that they did, but he dutifully copied the Hebrew verse by verse so that he could then provide this detailed refutation of each verse, all the while unintentionally creating a document that extended the life of this manuscript and preserved the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew. It's just funny to me. His second gift was coming from being a Karite. He provided the insight into the presence of the name of God, Jehovah, throughout the Gospel of Matthew. In each place he came upon the name of God, 20 in all throughout the Gospel, he wrote Hashem, which means the name, rather than the traditional replacement of Lord or Adonai, indicating the name the scribes refused to speak. It's the name of God, Jehovah. Greek versions of the New Testament can't provide this type of clarity because there's only one word in Greek for every form of the word Lord or Adonai, which is Kyrios. So this came and provided this wonderful insight on two areas. 
Shemtov's work has been tra- translated over 20 times, multiple languages, including English. First time was 1987, and they keep translating it more, most recently in 2017. So today we're going to be exploring several verses of Shem Tov's Matthew chapter 6, which contains the Lord's Prayer in a way I, I would expect not experienced before by you or those reading the scriptures taken only from the Greek language. Now, I'm going to read you the entire prayer from Hebrew Matthew, along with the English translation, which was provided by Nehemiah Gordon. There's lots of similarities to the Greek it's the Lord's Prayer, for goodness sakes, and uh, the English translations that come from the Greek, which you're familiar with. But there's several very different differences, very significant differences, I should say, that the Hebrew brings out. All right, so this is the Lord's Prayer taken from that Shem Tov document. Avinu Sebashamayim Yekadish Simcha Vaitbrek Malkutko, which is our Father in heaven, may your name be sanctified, may your kingdom be blessed. Your will shall be done in heaven on earth. Which is give our bread continually, daily, and forgive us the debt of our sins. Mm. As we forgive the debt of those who sin against us. Amen. Uh, do not bring us into the hands of a test and protect us from all evil. All right, so in its entirety, this obviously not a lot of words, 30 Hebrew words actually in the Lord's Prayer. So coming up, I'll take this apart verse by verse, compare the Hebrew to the Greek, and see uh, where we have been given some new insight with the new language. And before I actually do that, I'm going to look to another Hebrew prayer. That's the question when they say to Jesus, teach us to pray. Why do they ask him the question? And mm-hmm. we'll, we'll tear that apart first. <laughs> 